Hey friends, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're working to build a community position to experience God in daily life. Our weekly teaching is one piece of that work. So as you listen to this week's message, my prayer is that you would hear God inviting you to respond to his love and his desire for you. For more information, you can visit ridgeline.church. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Ridgeline. Glad you're all here today. Uh, if this is your first time with us, my name is Ryan, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline. And uh, we are in the month of January in a series called Voices. For the vast majority of this month, uh, I've been taking uh, a study break uh, to prepare for uh, really the rest of the year's teaching. And so we've been inviting other people in our community to be able to come and to speak on Sunday mornings. I think I got the, I've got the next like five series outlined uh, of where we're headed, so I'm excited about that. But I'm also really thankful that uh, this morning I get an opportunity to teach because <clears throat> it's been a minute. And so excited to be able to do that. Before we jump in this morning, uh, I do want to say, as everyone knows, uh, this I don't think is going to come as a big surprise. It turns out COVID's still a thing. And, uh, and we are in this season with uh, um, Omicron, um, which is going to be followed by the Optimus Prime variant. I'm pretty sure is coming soon. If you don't get that joke, it's okay. It means you're cool, <laughs> just so you know. Don't feel like it means anything other than you're not a nerd. Uh, but uh, during this time, you know, this has been a much more contagious variant, and so people are getting sick. Thankfully, by and large, it seems to be more mild, but are getting sick more, and it's impacting every single imaginable industry, and it's impacting even our church as people who uh, have volunteered and are scheduled to serve at times are finding out that they're sick and unable to come. And so I wanted to just say, for us to really continue to heal and grow through this season together, it's really going to require all of us doing what we can. And so what I wanted to ask is if you don't, if you call Ridgeline home and you don't currently serve in some capacity, we have a lot of opportunities on Sunday morning to fit a variety of schedules. But if you don't currently serve somewhere, if you could sign up when Pastor Tyler walks you through the info card to be able to serve in some capacity, that would be a tremendous help. We just kind of need all hands on deck. The second thing I want to say is if you do all already serve in some capacity. If you could be, you know, every month we give people the, uh, the ability to block out certain dates if they're going to be unable to serve or gone. If you could just do your best to be as flexible as possible with those, this is a tough time for us to all go like, I just need a me month and I'm not going to serve in any capacity. It's going to get hard for us to, to have church together if we all do that. And so if we can just be as flexible and available as possible to be able to serve, then uh, we'll just kind of endure uh, our, our way through this season as best as we can. Sound good? All right. So uh, I'm excited to be able to uh, continue the Voices series. This morning, I'm going to spend our time together in Psalm 131. So if you want to turn kind of to the middle of your Bible, that's the book of Psalms. And uh, we're going to be in 131, and we'll get there in <clears throat> just a few minutes. Um, God put this on my heart last Sunday when I woke up, and uh, this is where I was in my regular reading. And I think it's such a timely message for this current moment that we all find ourselves in. And so um, I wanted to start, uh, you know, for those of you that don't know, most of you already know this, but 
After almost two years of being pretty effective at dodging it, our family finally got bit by the vid over Christmas. And so we had COVID for Christmas, which was not super fun. But we had two weeks that we were just home. And through that time, got so many uh, kind and encouraging text messages. And so many people prayed for us. And we had people running errands for us. And, and one of the really awesome things that happened during that time was uh, one afternoon I got a text from Greg and Marcy Sittig, who call our church home. And they said, hey, we left Christmas presents on your, on your doorstep, which is awesome. So they gave us this amazing, generous batch of gifts. But my favorite that we were given was somehow, somewhere, Marcy said it was the first Christmas present she found this year. They found us a baby Yoda Chia Pet which I didn't even know they still made Chia Pets, but apparently they're still doing really, really well. So they give us this Chia Pet. My kids are just like, I don't think they'd ever seen one before. They were over the moon. And so they asked if they could like grow it. And I said, of course. And so they get this thing out of the box and do all the things you're supposed to do, which I've, I've has anyone owned the Chia Pet? A couple people, okay. I had never actually owned one. I just remember the Chia 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 Chia, remember that? That's like, whoever wrote that has got to be so rich, because that's one of the best jingles of all time. But uh, so basically, they get this thing watered, and then I get, you just like spread the seeds on it. So it kind of looks like it has a skin infection in the beginning, and it's unnerving to even look at. So they get this all set up, and they put it on the shelf, and guess what happened? Absolutely nothing. It did not grow anything at all. It just sat there and died to the point that it looked like we gave baby Yoda leprosy. <laughs> and I was sitting there one day looking at this thing going, we honest to God have to be the only family on the planet that has had such a lack of green thumb that we could not even grow a Chia pet. The whole thing is they're supposed to be so easy to grow. Now, let me ask you a question that I think the answer to is, is gonna be pretty obvious. Why didn't that Chia Pet grow? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different answers. The big idea is we did nothing to care for it other than spread seeds all over it and thinking that was gonna do it. We did nothing to care for this thing whatsoever. Now, <clears throat> I bring that up because as we come to Psalm 31 this morning, I think that there is a very important big idea that is going to emerge from these verses. It has far-reaching implications, and we're gonna look at it in one specific place today. But our big idea, if you're a note-taker, is this. Whatever we cultivate will inevitably grow. Whatever we cultivate will inevitably grow. And that's not just true of Chia Pets, it's also true of our souls. That whatever it is that we cultivate inside of us will inevitably grow. Now here's the challenge that I think that we're all up against right now. We are living in what I would, I think, best describe as very chaotic times. Would you agree with that? Especially when, if you think about, like when I say the word chaos, my guess is we all have some definition that comes to mind. We might even have some imagery that kind of flashes before when we think about the idea of chaos. But you know, chaos, what it really means, if you just look at the definition of it, it is a state of profound confusion. That's what chaos is. And so when you think about that definition, that's a pretty apt description for the world that we live in, right? Think about how many times in the last decade, but specifically maybe in the last 18, 19 months as we've kind of been in this weird world that we're all living in, how many times 
Have you looked at something happening in the world at large or in your life and just thought like, what is happening? Like, I've, I've, I, mean, I must have asked that question a thousand times. I'm watching the news or I'm on social media or I'm thinking about what the last two years has been and I just back up baffled and confused going, what on earth is happening here? And the byproduct of all of this chaos that we're experiencing for so many of, if it, probably all of us to varying degrees, has been this really significant inner turmoil. Now, that turmoil can have many, many faces. For some of us, we've been living with a much deeper sense of fear, anxiety, and worry. Many of us have experienced profound grief over the last couple of years. There's been so much disappointment. Some of us have wrestled with new levels of depression. There's been this really significant outrage inside of so many of us. And so I want to label all of that this inner turmoil. And so in short, so many of us, if we're honest, would say like, I just kind of feel like I am an absolute mess inside. Do you agree with that? That we at least have days, weeks, some of us have months, some of us have felt like there's been a couple years of just looking and reflecting on our inner world, thinking like, I am just a mess inside. And so I think when that happens, when we've got this turmoil inside of us, what we start to do mentally is we try to track it back to its source. And when we track it back to its source, many of us arrive at the chaos. Well, the world feels like it's upside down. And as a result of the world feeling upside down, I am this mess on the inside. And I want to challenge that assumption this morning. Because I think what we have to be so careful about is blaming our external circumstances for our inner health. And I just don't think it's fair for us to blame all of these external things that are happening for the inner state of our hearts. We have so integrated into the chaos that is happening around us that we have cultivated, we have responded to it by cultivating fear and outrage on the inside. So the bad news is, when you think about the state of your inner world, when you think about the health of your soul, would be another way to, to state that. You are responsible for the state of your soul. Now, I want to be really careful that you don't perceive that in like a shaming way. That's like, hey, if you're having a hard time right now, it's because you're a dumb, dumb head. That's not what I'm saying. So I'm not saying that it's all our fault, but I am saying that we are responsible. And for some of us, that is going to feel like a heavy weight. Like I'm, I'm responsible for the health of my soul. Now here's the good news. The good news is whatever we cultivate will inevitably grow. And so there is a way for us to stop responding to the chaos that is happening all around us in a way that is cultivating further fear and further outrage inside of us. We can respond differently. We can learn to cultivate calm and quiet even in the midst of chaotic times. And that's what I believe brings us to Psalm 131 this morning. I want to talk about how to cultivate calm in chaotic times. So if this message is not timely, I don't know what is. 
All right, so Psalm 131. Uh, Let me just read this to you this morning because it's only three verses, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time in each verse. Psalm 131, it says, A Song of Ascents of David, which I'll talk about in just a second. It starts like this. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, My soul is like a weaned child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. All right, so Psalm 131, as it says in the heading, is a psalm of ascent. Now, the Psalms of Ascent is a collection of 15 different psalms that were sung by pilgrims when they were on their way up to Jerusalem for any of the many festivals that took place uh, in Jerusalem. Now, the purpose of this particular song is to depict what it looks like to hope in the Lord. We talk a lot about hope. Hope's a very important, critical reality to have inside of us, but it can also feel kind of vague. Like, what is it? Is it just optimistic thinking? What does it actually look like practically to hope in the Lord? And that's the question that I believe the psalmist answers in these verses. So as we come back now again to verse 1, I think what we have here is a recipe for inner turmoil. Because listen to this again. He says, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things that are too great or too wondrous for me. So the, the psalmist is in this very contented state because... He was not preoccupied with things that were beyond the scope of his understanding and beyond the scope of his ability to control. He's like, I don't don't get mixed up in those things. And I think it's very interesting that he points to pride as being the motivator behind these things. See, pride's power is in the subversive way it permeates our entire lives. Martin Luther called pride the mother of all sin in us. And so what I think happens is oftentimes we look at like a political, obviously arrogant political leader or business leader or celebrity who just says outrageous, obviously arrogant things, and we go, see, that's pride. But I don't do that, so I'm not proud. But you know, the truth is, worry is an expression of pride. And Regret, refusing to let go of a past that we can't change, is informed by pride. Every time we overextend ourselves, it's an expression of pride. So pride's real power is in the subversive way in which it permeates our lives. So what the psalmist is saying here basically is like, I I have learned to stay in my lane. There are things that are too great for me to understand. There are things that are outside the scope of my ability to control. And so I'm not going to live there. I'm going to stay in my lane. And so think about a time that this won't be hard because we live in Utah. Think about a time when you have watched a driver completely disregard the lanes that they're driving in. (laughs) Honest to God, we're in our fifth year living here. I don't even know why they line the roads in Utah. I was on State Street the other day. 
and I was in the left lane with a truck inside of me, four lanes of traffic across, I watched a truck go from the left turn lane and make a right turn across four lanes of traffic. No wave, no like beep, beep, that's my bad, just like it's Utah, this is what we do here. <laughs> it's important that we learn to stay in our lane. And there is something inside of all of us that constantly wants to get outside of our lane. And I would say the primary place that I see this for people is like when we constantly have to understand why God has allowed the things that he allows. There are, you know, there are just certain things like God even says in Isaiah, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It is such a supreme display of arrogance when we have this position that we take that demands like God owes us an explanation for everything in the world. He doesn't. There are certain things, like it is a recipe for misery if you have to understand every single thing that God has allowed in your life. You will never have peace. You will never experience calm because there are going to be things we don't understand. Think about the story of Job. Job had every right to be confused, to be frustrated, to be angry, and he's pretty free in his expression of that through that entire story. And at the end, as he's, God is finally there and talking to Job now, notice that God, God doesn't, if you've read the end, you know God doesn't like, okay, Job, well, here's, here's everything that was happening. You know what God says? Where were you when I made the world? You're just like, oh, I thought I was going to get like a hug. I didn't, I, didn't know. I didn't know that I was going to have my pride cut down. But that was God's response to Job, and oftentimes that's God's response to us. He doesn't give us all of the information that we demand. And our desire for it is rooted in this proud desire to control everything, including God. And so the psalmist says, man, I'm, I'm, I, just, I stay in my lane. There are things beyond the scope of my understanding and beyond the scope of my control, and I'm not going to fixate on them. And so I was thinking through some ways in which we kind of do the opposite of what the psalmist is saying, and as a result, we actually cultivate inner turmoil that we are, that we are caring for, that we are nurturing certain things in our lives that are causing us to experience more inner turmoil. And so I made a short list. See if you can't connect with some of this. The first one, I'm just going to label, label as uh, doom scrolling. Everybody familiar at this point with what doom scrolling is? Doom scrolling is spending an excessive amount of screen time, typically on our phones or iPads, devoted to consuming negative news. And doom scrolling exploded during COVID because we were all home and we were all confused and worried and not sure. There was a lack of understanding, so much lack of understanding around COVID and a bunch of conspiracy stuff mixed in there. And everybody was afraid and, and concerned and not sure what was going on. And so we were just on our phones all of the time. And the way that algorithms work, everything you click on, your phone's keeping track of and continues to fill your feed with whatever keeps you on your device. So what we got, and can we just acknowledge, like, you know that the way that the media keeps, keeps making money is by continuing to spread news that makes you fearful or angry? Because that's, that's what we're, like, drawn to. 
and it's an act of trying to control our world, but the more that we do that, we just like so many of us just sat because we didn't understand what was happening, and we just consumed and consumed and consumed, and the problem is that formed new behaviors in many of us, and that has become a thing that we do. How many mornings have you woken up in the dark of your room and started with your phone? Or how many times do we end the day and our last thoughts are being informed by the bad, like the world's filled with bad news. It's not hard to find it. You gotta work hard sometimes to find good news, but this doom scrolling, genuinely, I think is one of the primary factors when all we consume is negative, why on earth would we feel anything other than this inner turmoil inside of us? So the first way that we cultivate inner turmoil is doom scrolling. The second one, is what um, I've recently heard called mental time travel. I love this phrase. Mental time travel is a phrase that was coined in the mid-70s, 1970s, by a cardiologist, and uh, it is the capacity to mentally reconstruct personal events from the past and to imagine possible scenarios in the future. So mental time travel is the thing that we do when we go back to like a, a past trauma. Or maybe we go back to, um, like maybe you had some sort of conversation that involved conflict, and you think about when that's over, think about how many times you rehash that. And like all the things that you said or they said, the things that you wish you would have said or the things you wish you wouldn't have said. Anytime we are living in regret, it's mental time travel. We're going backwards and we are dwelling there. But we also do it when we worry and fixate on the future. And what we really struggle to do is to live in the present. So when we do this mental time travel, we are living mentally in two spaces we have zero control over, which continues to, to fuel this inner turmoil inside of us. All you can ever truly control is your present moment, your responses, your attitude in the present moment. You can't control the future and you can't change the past. But when we do this mental time travel, it just continues to fuel this inner turmoil. And then lastly, I think a third factor for so many of us is what's called hurry sickness, which is a real thing. It's not like a diagnosed medical thing. It's a behavioral issue that they call hurry sickness. It's marked by chronic rushing and anxiousness and this overwhelming persistent urgency, even when there's no, no need to move that fast. Just go, 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 never at rest, never still. Some symptoms of it would be uh, people who chronically multitask. If you can never just do one task, you have to be doing seven at once, this could be a sign of hurry sickness. Uh, another example, this one does not feel good to me because it makes me feel like I have this, is uh, speeding all of the time. You're not even in a hurry to get where you're going. You still need to drive 10 to 15 miles an hour over the speed limit. That's me. Or when we, when we get, we have this, like sometimes we speed conversationally where you're talking to someone and in your head, hopefully you don't actually do this, but you're like, can you please get to the point? I'm so tired of listening to whatever it is that you're saying because I have other things to go do. That's a sign of hurry sickness. Another one is if you're just constantly rushing through tasks, which often is what happens when uh, it often leads to us making mistakes in the tasks that we're doing. Uh, if you're constantly irritable every single time there is any disruption to the thing that you're trying to do, 
So if you have to run to the grocery store and there's like 15 people waiting in the checkout line and you're just like full-scale meltdown on the inside, just want to run over all of these people, that's a sign of hurry sickness. We are so chronically on the go that we are living with this low to high-grade stress all of the time, and it destroys us physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. All of these things cultivate this inner turmoil. And so I want us to see how it's not just these external circumstances. It's the way we respond to them, what we do with what is happening around us, and, and, and that we are guilty of cultivating so much of this turmoil that we carry around inside of us. Now, the good news is, verse 2, there is a way that we can cultivate a different way of life. Look at verse 2 again. The psalmist writes, Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, my soul is like a weaned child. I want you to just close your eyes for a second. And I want you to, I want you to take a couple of deep breaths in through your nose. Hold it for like two seconds at the top. And then a slow exhale. Just do that a couple times. And deep breath in. Long breath out. And just think about how amazing it sounds to have a calm and quiet soul. Think about how amazing it sounds to even have a moment that you sit and feel genuinely content, genuinely at peace, no worry, no outrage, no restlessness, no feeling anxious to get on to what's next, just content. Honestly, I think that for so many of us, that feels like a fairy tale. But you can open your eyes and look up here. That is something that we can actually cultivate. It doesn't just happen. And if we are waiting for our circumstances to be the source of bringing that calm and quiet, it's never going to happen. It's something that we cultivate. That phrase, when he says, I have calmed and quieted my soul, it literally means I have leveled my soul in the sense of preparing ground to sow seed. It's a picture of cultivating something. I have cared for, I have nurtured, I have cultivated a calm and quiet soul inside of me. And the psalmist also uses this other imagery of a weaned child, which in this culture would have been a, probably about a three-year-old toddler. And so just think about a three-year-old that finds confidence in the presence of their mom. And they're most content to be in that presence. I remember when our kids were three years old and going off to preschool for the very first time and seeing the separation anxiety that happened as they knew I'm about to leave my mom's presence or my dad's presence and go be with these other people. And then you could see the relief at pickup when it's like, I'm back where I'm supposed to be. 
And this is meant to be a picture of what we are invited to as well. And it doesn't, this is so critical to see, it doesn't just happen. It has to be cultivated. And it takes time and it takes process to cultivate these calm and quiet souls. So I want to mirror that kind of depressing list that I just hit with three, three ways that we can actually cultivate calm in our souls, trying to make this as actionable and practical as we possibly can. Because there is action and practice implied in what the psalmist says. I have calmed and quieted my soul. I have made the ground level. I'm doing the work to cultivate calm and quiet inside of me, even in chaotic times. And so this isn't just something we just sit back and hope for. This is something that we work to cultivate inside of us. Three ways we cultivate calm souls. Number one is silence. Number one is silence. Psalm 46.10, God says, Be still and know that I am God. Especially within Western Protestantism, We are very like, do, 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 go, go, go. Read more books, read more Bible, pray more, serve more, give more. And there's something really important about this invitation that God says, let's, let's, all that is good. Let's try this. Be still and just know that I'm God. And if that causes like anxiety to rise up in you, like what? How do I practice silence? It's you literally sit in a quiet spot and say and do nothing. <laughs> and the harder that is for us, the more of an indication of how important it is for us to practice this. How few moments do most of us have in our day that are just silent? That we're not listening and consuming, that it's just quiet. that it gives our souls time to get level, to be calmed and to be quieted. And so you can practice this in a number of different ways. For me, when I start, it's the way I start my time sitting with God every morning is to take at least a few minutes to just sit in silence and just be with him. And it has an amazing, calming, centering effect on us. It can be uncomfortable. It can be hard, obviously, at times. It's easy to, easier to silence external noise than it is internal noise. But the longer that we sit in it, the longer that we practice it, the more calming effect it has on our souls. So the first way that we can cultivate calm souls is by practicing silence. The second one is through breath prayer. Breath prayer. Now, some of us may not be familiar with breath prayer, but breath prayers are these very short, like one sentence usually, usually seven or eight syllables to be super specific, simple prayers that are just one line that we connect with our breathing, that we pray on the inhale and the exhale. And there is a long biblical and ancient history of, P- of Christians practicing breath prayers. And they have a very, very powerful effect on us. So when you think about in the New Testament, when Paul says pray without ceasing, he's not saying that we should constantly run around petitioning God like he's some sort of cosmic waiter waiting to deliver our every demand. Breath prayer is one of the ways that we pray without ceasing. And it can be attached to our time of silence 
but it's taking these simple prayers, these deep longings inside of us and over and over again, offering them to God. And we see some examples of this. I think like just this morning I was reading Psalm 136. You know that Psalm 136 repeats the phrase, his faithful love endures forever, 26 times in one psalm. 26 verses, 26 times, this repeated phrase, his faithful love endures forever. Like, you know, one of the reasons that repetition is so important is that we are so prone not to believe things and we need time to really sit in them. And so I was reading a chapter this week um, in uh, Richard Foster's book, called Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. It's an awesome book. And he has a great little chapter in there on breath prayer. And he really encouraged, like if you were to Google, I did this week, if you were to Google uh, common breath prayers, you will find like hundreds of examples online. But one of the things Richard Foster really um, implores is crafting your own breath prayer. And, uh, and so I did that this week. And here's the practice that he, that he describes uh, that I think was, it was a powerful thing for me to work through on my own. He says, I want you to envision sitting with Jesus and Jesus looks you in the face and he calls you by your first name, which is a very intimate thing, to, to think about Jesus sitting with me and just saying, Ryan. It's a very moving, touching, intimate thing for Jesus to look you in the face. He knows you. He sees you. So imagine Jesus saying your name and then asking you this question that he asks all over the Gospels. Imagine him saying your name and asking you the question, what do you want me to do for you? Think about how many times throughout the Gospels Jesus encounters someone who has come up to him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? So take that, your answer to that, you might need like, I needed to sit with that for a bit this week. But out of that time, God gave me this really deep breath prayer for me that I've been praying at every, every time it comes to mind throughout the week. And every time that longing goes deeper and deeper and deeper inside of me. If Jesus were to ask you, what do you want me to do for you? What would your answer to that question be? And then craft that into a prayer that you then as you are, you can do it sitting in traffic, you can do it sitting in line at the grocery store, you can do it sitting in a chair at home, wherever you are. You pray the name of God. So mine is Holy Spirit on my inhale, and then on my exhale, fill me more with you. Very, very simple. But the longer we sit with these prayers, the deeper they go inside of us. And with time, they have this calming effect over our souls. So silence breath prayer, and then finally, third way we cultivate calm souls is through beauty, is through beauty, specifically taking the time to recognize and to see beauty. There has been so much over the last two years in particular that has been so evil and ugly and awful and that is what has filled so much of our attention. And so there is something so important about us taking time to recognize beauty. And it's a biblical thing. In Psalm 19, listen to the first four verses of Psalm 19. David says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. 
Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. That psalm is penned by someone that took a moment to actually recognize the beauty that God had created. And we live in Utah. This is not hard. I used to live in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. It is hard to find beauty there unless you find strip malls beautiful. But all you have to do, it's a little inversion-y right now, so it's a little harder. But all we have to do is walk out of any building in Salt Lake and look up to the mountains, and we can have a present moment of going, this is gorgeous. And maybe it's not nature. Maybe nature's like not your, your happy place. Maybe it's some kind of art, music, food, relationships. So much of life has been so hard and is so hard and will continue to be so hard, but it doesn't mean that we are not still surrounded by beauty. The trick is learning to increase our awareness of it and to allow God to encourage and to settle our hearts with it. And so here's what I, I really want to commend to you. If you're sitting, you listen to this, and you're like, oh, you know what? I tried silence one time, and it just, it was uncomfortable. It didn't work for me. Or I've tried breath prayer, and that, I did that once, and it was just kind of weird, and I just would rather tell God my list. Here, here's what I'd say. Like, I can't imagine, I hope this has never happened, but, but no one who has not been paying attention to, like, their, their diet, their health, their fitness, no one walks into a gym and looks at the mirror and goes, I am, I am not looking good. I am for sure carrying the COVID-19. And then does one workout and looks in the mirror and looks exactly the same and goes, well, this clearly doesn't work. And then never works out again. No one would do that because we all know it requires process. And for some reason, we don't seem to recognize that when it comes to our spiritual formation. We want instant results. And the truth is, life with God is about process. Formation is about process. It takes time to cultivate inner turmoil, and it will take time to cultivate inner quiet and calm. But whatever we cultivate will inevitably grow. Now notice how the psalmist finishes here in verse 3. He says, Israel was the people of God. Put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. And therein again is really the heart of this entire psalm, this invitation to put our hope in God. And again, hope is not just blind optimism. Hope is contented, surrendered trust. Even when we don't ever understand everything, it's acknowledging the fact that we are not in control of everything and surrendering to the fact that God is in control and he does know, he does understand. And trust is not a one-time choice. Trust is a process we cultivate through practice. And so what I want to invite you to this morning is to adopt practices that will cultivate quiet and calm souls inside of us. And I would say that this is probably one of the most missional things that we can do, is to be in this culture of chaos and to be a people who are marked by calm and quiet. 
It is possible. Our circumstances may not get any easier. These are the waters that we live in now. And so we can fight that tooth and nail, and we could pine after the good old days that didn't exist in the first place. Or we can surrender to the reality that though life is chaotic and confusing and hard, it doesn't change the fact that God is with us in the midst of it and offers us himself. And so what I want to do is I want to close. We're going to do some Q&A in just a few minutes so you can see the number up on the screen. You can text some questions in. We'd love to get into any of the practical things or if some of this sounds challenging or doesn't make sense, I'd love to answer anything that I can. But before we do that, I've asked Shanna to just come up and play for a moment, and I want to have a moment of reflection. And so I want to start to do this more after teaching, because the thing that always concerns me is that God stirs things in our hearts while we're here, and then maybe we, we leave to go off to whatever else we have to do, thinking like, well, I'll, I'll spend some time thinking about that, or I'll write that down at some point, and then oftentimes we don't. So let's just take a moment to reflect on what we've been talking about right now. And so what I want you to do, if you have a journal with you or your phone, you want to open a note, I want to give you two questions to reflect on for just a moment. The questions are this. Number one, how do I cultivate inner turmoil? Right? So start on where we were in verse one. What are some ways in which you know you're cultivating inner turmoil? It could be doom scrolling, mental time travel, hurry sickness. could be something totally different, something that is cultivating inner turmoil. That's question number one. Those are the practices that we want to look at and begin to stop. The second question is, how is the Spirit inviting me to cultivate calm? These are the practices that we want to start. So maybe it's silence or breath prayer or beauty or any myriad of other things. But how do you hear the Spirit speaking to you this morning? Spirit, I do pray that you would give us the ability to see clearly the answers to these questions. Lord, help us to to be able to recognize the ways in which we are cultivating turmoil inside of us. Help us to recognize that. Give us the strength and the ability to begin to take the steps necessary to stop cultivating that inside of us. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us now. Make clear to us the practice that you are inviting us to today, this week, this season, to cultivate calm despite what's happening around us. We thank you that you are a God who is with us, We thank you that you are in control even when it feels like you're not. We thank you that you understand all things. We thank you that you promise to use everything for our good. And Lord, we just acknowledge together that we don't see that. We don't always understand that. But I pray, God, that you would give us the humility to let go and to trust you. So Lord, as we reflect now, would you give us clarity? In Jesus' name, why don't you take just a moment and maybe jot a few things down that you hear the Spirit of God saying to you.
Father God, we thank you that your desire for us is that we would find peace with you, that we would find joy with you, that we would find wisdom with you. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would give us more and more and more of yourself and that we would answer your call to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross daily, and to follow you. And I, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to teach us how we can cultivate the calm and quieted souls that you desire for us. Help us to listen to you and to respond appropriately. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.